0: You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 80. We're octogenarian now in Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And today we have a special guest, Matt Duncan. Hey, everyone. So uh, Matt recently attended Gamescom, and uh, this actually happened last year on Flipping Tables number 28. He gave us a little report. So we're going to kind of run that again and uh, give us some highlights. And I think the thing I'm most excited hearing about is the, the virtual reality, the Oculus Rift and the Vive and, and whatever else you had a chance to, to try out. So maybe we should start there.
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, this time I actually got to do some stuff. Like last year I complained about lines being everywhere and we were always late, so we always arrived with the with the general public there, um, although we were exhibitors. So this time we actually got to do some stuff and the, the things that were most interesting were definitely the virtual reality things. So I got to try the Oculus Rift twice and then out of sheer luck I actually got to check out the Vive. And... Um, this this was completely my first experience with with VR in general. Like I, from from the first time the the Oculus Rift was announced, I was like, I want to have this. I want to at least try this at first, but I want to have this. And now after this week, I or last week, um, I definitely won an Oculus Rift in my house. So I mean, people.
0: I've seen videos. I've heard other people. But in your words, like, what's it like? Why? Like, what does it
1: feel like? Is it is it cool? <laughs> Um, it's definitely cool. So the first minute, um, so you you put it on, it's, it's very comfortable. Um, the first thing you notice is there is definitely a noticeable screen door effect, like still in the, in the, I think what I tried was close to the consumer version. So there is definitely a screen door effect from the resolution, but I have to say that after a few minutes of gameplay, you don't really look at this. uh, You don't really notice it anymore. You're focused on the game. So, um, in my eyes, that's Okay. And, um, the thing is the first minute that you play, so the first demo I tried was in third person and the second one was in first person. Um, you know that feeling when, when you're sitting on the train and the train next to you starts and you think you're moving, but you're not really feeling the movement and you get a little dizzy. That's it the whole time. Um, you get used to it after a minute or so, but, uh, yeah, the first minute is complete dizziness and what the hell is going on and, um, you can get used to it. I got used to it, but, um, th- it's definitely there. Like, um, th- this is, uh, in contrast to the Vive, where, um, if you're moving around, you're moving around in the room. So you don't really get that dizziness because you're actually feeling the movement because you're actually moving in, in the physical space, uh, which is, which is definitely a the difference there. Um, but I have to say it, it's a little bit more comfortable and, for some reason, it feels more natural sitting down. Like, to me, maybe it's because in a game setting, you're used to sitting down when you're playing a game, unless you're playing Wii Bowling or something. Um, So, for me, the Oculus Rift was a little bit more useful in a sense where gaming happens. So, um, I mean, moving around in a room is pretty cool. Like, um, you uh, could go to the edge of a cliff or something and look down and you really feel that depth. So, in general, on both of these systems, like, the graphics are just perfect like depth perception um, it's, it's the real deal like um, you can't really convey that if you're watching YouTube videos that are inherently 2D usually um, so the, the effect is yeah. just there and also with both systems I have to say the latency was really unnoticeable like you move your head and instantly the camera moves with you so there was never feeling like there is a distance between you and the game it's like the interface is really quick in detecting any movement
2: can I ask about the third person thing you did cuz that <laughs> that sounds weird to me that you would be controlling a character but then also kind of seeing them from the back but also when you turn your head your your view changes like i I mean I know that's basically the experience we have with a controller now but you're very aware, like I'm pushing buttons and I'm controlling this thing. So is it weird in VR to half control and half be like your own ghost looking over your own shoulder?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely strange. So the demo started, you were in in, in some glacier ice territory, like Antarctica or something, and the, the screen fades in and you see this guy staying in front of you. And naturally you're putting on an Oculus Rift. You think, okay, so this is like a comrade of yours. And no, you are actually watching yourself there. So the first moment you think you are in first person, although the guy told me before, yeah, this is a third person demo. I actually recommended me that. So, um, it is kind of strange and it, but it works very well. So, um, once you, um, like head in one direction and start, um, turning your head, it, it's like it's shifting into tank controls, like Resident Evil or Silent Hill. So it's not like you you walk, uh, look behind <laughs> you and then suddenly you run off the cliff because you don't know where you were going. So it, there was no problem there, um, at least in that demo, which was definitely heavily scripted. But um, th- there there was no problem there. Like uh, I, I can see third person working really well, although I personally would go for the first person experience uh, if I had a choice.
0: So with the you mentioned the death. It- Experience. So would you definitely put this in another category than like a 3D movie or the Nintendo 3 ds oh, yeah.
1: yeah. So um going back to that demo, you, you at one point walked into a cavern and there was a rope hanging from the ceiling. So your character jumps onto that rope and you know, okay, now I've gotta have gotta um uh I've gotta go down that rope. And usually your camera would do the work for you and look down, and then you, you think, oh, I have to look down now. You look down and you get really dizzy because suddenly you're looking down at uh, a 50 meters deep cavern. So um, at that point, I really got an adrenaline rush because my body thought that there were 50 <laughs> feet, uh, not 50 feet. How much is it? 50, uh, one hundred fifteen <clears> feet. I don't know. Uh, it's about that, I think. Um it was really deep, and you really noticed that. Um, you, uh, the, the other demo I did was a space shooter, and with that also, like things were far away or things were really close, you really noticed that it worked really well. I think that it has to be really far away for uh, for the effect not to work because of the resolution limitation.
0: Yeah, I wonder about the. You mentioned the ladder rope climbing because, like in Half Life games, you really like you can fly up ladders like thirty miles an hour because they just decided why make it why make this annoying? Why not just make this fast? And in an immersive first person, that could actually be pretty frightening.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it actually really reminded me of the times when you were uh, were on a roller coaster or something where you actually feel like. There's not much below you, so uh, th- that feeling really came through w- very well.
2: <laughs> you're, Mike, you're making me think. There's all these video gamey things that we've been dealing with, not in a bad way, but like we've been aware of for you know a decade and a half now, since like the PS One, PS Two era of gaming. That things like, oh, when I get to the ladder, I press A and I shoot up to the top of the ladder. When you're looking at a television no matter how big it is and how high quality it is, it's like, oh yeah, that's just how ladder climbing works in a game. But if you had the ladder right in your face, cause it's a VR headset and you were like, okay, I'm going to climb this ladder. <laughs> oh my God, I'm flying at a million miles an hour. Like that, that would not only would that be scary as hell, but it would be very, uh, it, it, it would kind of break that immersion feeling. Cause you're like, well, that's not how ladder climbing works it's
0: just the psychedelic <laughs> end of 2001 every time you climb a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> so matt what would be your price ceiling would you buy one
1: um i think uh so they said that the oculus would launch at a launch at about 300 euro or dollars or pound or whatever. i think they're just going straight with 300 everywhere or around that price um I could see myself getting that, although I'd have to get a new graphics card before that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have any of it. Um, just wouldn't run fluently. Um, so, But I think I'm going to get one right after launch or like a month after launch um, if I really have the graphics power in my, my computer to do it. And I'm also, I think I'm really going to go with the, the Oculus because... Um, I also got to add that with uh, that with the HTC Vive you had didn't really have a controller in your hand. Like so, the Oculus Rift comes with an Xbox One controller, and the Vive has those motion control things, like it's like two remotes. And also with that, the tracking was really perfect. So you you had a demo where you could uh, spawn balloons and just uh, chuck them about or anything with physics. Like your hands in the game are really where your hands are. So there's the the eye hand coordination is completely right. Um, I smacked my hat every once in a while because the the Vive is really big on your face. So I didn't (laughs) know where the Vive ended. But yeah, the the hands were where they were supposed to be.
2: So one thing I've never been totally clear on is will there be games that work with and without this hardware or is it going to be like a Kinect game or a Wii U game where you have to have the hardware and there's... Games made specifically for that hardware. So, like, let's pretend Half-Life Three eventually comes out. Are you going to be able to play that only with a crazy headset and and special controllers, or do you think they'll do both? Like, I because I feel like this is uh, a gaming peripheral. It's kind of like a uh, you remember like old flight sticks. Like you could play a flying simulator or a flight simulator with the keyboard and mouse. It kind of sucked, but you could do it, right? Just like on most PC games, you can choose like what your inputs are. But I don't know if the whole way the game will be designed and the way the engine will have to be designed and the way the experiences and interaction will be designed will afford multiple inputs like that. Like a a game that's very immersive and interesting in VR might be kind of boring on a screen with like a keyboard and mouse.
1: I think I'm definitely going to, the first thing I'm going to do is replay GTA 5 in complete in first person in VR. Um, I'm, I'm, I know that a lot of people already hacked like VR into older games or just other games. Um, that
0: There's a lot of games where there's a first person car mode and I never use that when I'm playing with a controller and I'm 10 feet from my TV. But I wonder if in VR if I'll be willing to give those first person modes more of a shot.
1: I think so. Um, with the with the space shooter I played, you were in the cockpit, and I think in a regular first person setting, there you wouldn't be able to see anything. But I got to say, you um, you didn't miss any of it. Like when you were chasing your enemies and shooting them down, you had complete control over your vision, and you had about uh, like almost 180 degree vision. So I think it worked very well. So this this could be the case where um, first person vehicles could be could be a thing then again.
2: The only game I remember using uh, first person driving in for some reason was Ridge Racer. You guys remember Ridge Racer? For some reason, I just always drove in <laughs> Ridge first person. Racer. <laughs> exactly right. I for some reason I never ever <laughs> used it in any other driving game. I hated it, but in in Ridge Racer for some reason it made me drive better.
0: So Matt, did you get to check out any other games at Gamescom? Anything else of note? Um, I
1: did get to play Metal Gear Solid Five. Um, it was fun. Like You felt under pressure because next to you was a guy who at first explained to you like the objective of the mission and some of the control schemes because the last Metal Gear Solid I played was three, so I didn't know how I was supposed to control this game. And of course I sucked because the way I play Metal Gear Solid is oh, I got spotted, load save file. And I didn't get to do this there in the 10-minute mission. So um, I got spotted pretty early, I shot some guys down and before I was close to completion uh, yeah the time was over so they huddled us up off this little stage and they didn't give us anything, I mean that's Konami but uh, no goodies, no giveaways no shirts, no nothing <laughs> um, but the game is fun, I'm also probably gonna get it, maybe that's gonna be the reason why I get a new graphics card so I can play it in full HD with the best graphics you're just graphics. piling up the reasons and, to get um, graphics yeah, the, cards <laughs> Yeah, I I need a new one. The last time I bought a new one was because of Final Fantasy 14. Um then uh other than that I didn't really play anything. I walked by the the Star Fox uh, game station at at the Nintendo booth when nobody was there, but I I I didn't play it. I could have, but um <laughs> sorry guys. Um, <laughs> Uh and, and yeah, and the other thing was just uh, I watched those twenty minutes uh, twenty minute gameplay video of Deus Ex, the new one, and they actually gave you a little figurine. I, I think I posted that on Twitter. And uh little goodie there. So uh <laughs> instead of Konami there, I at least got something from Squenix <laughs> Squenix I'm looking forward to that game. I, I really
0: enjoyed the last Deus Ex.
1: Yeah, it looks looks really good, like a lot more flexible and uh, you can actually do anything. And the combat, they they promised that the combat uh, was more valuable this time. So I'm probably still going to (laughs) sneak through everything, but um, it's good to know that once you're spotted, you can shoot everybody down. And just the same with Metal Gear Solid, I don't really have to reload my save file every five minutes.
2: I never understood people who played Metal Gear and were like, oh, I'm like the big boss reward or badge or whatever you got where if you beat it on the hardest difficulty without killing anyone including any of the bosses and you could never be spotted i was like yeah it's a stealth game and stealth is fun because it's an interesting challenge but if you play a game like that unless you're just an amazing video game player the game you're really playing is like reloading simulator 2015 you're like oh i spend (laughs) 90 (laughs) percent of my time looking at the load screen Especially for like Metal Gear Solid Four, which had the longest load times ever,
0: yeah, the game's worth it though <laughs>
2: because I'm <laughs> worth it
0: <laughs> if you if you want Metal Gear at its best, you have to accept it at its worst, <laughs> <laughs> so Matt,
2: did you get a chance um <clears throat> did you get a chance to watch this uh how v r could work in like a big Or a small physical space video. Yeah, I watched that. Um, I think this is actually out of like Disney research, like one of their labs. But did you get this feeling when you were using... I I assume they didn't put you in a living room. You were probably in like a 10 by 10 empty space, right? When you were using the the one you actually walked around with. Yeah, (laughs) right. Did you get the feeling like were you constantly
1: afraid you were going to hit a wall or crash into something? (laughs) definitely Um, so the room was as you said like 10 by 10 Um, there was a computer in there with the guy operating it which was not tracked by the cameras. so if i got too close to him with my arms or something he always shouted out like "Uh, uh, go no no not this way (laughs) and and with everything else like uh, it just um, shows you a semi-transparent wall in the game if you can't go any further so you were actually very limited. Now these were all like very graphic-based demos. Um, there was no real gameplay in those. Um, so they they got around on on one of them by having this feature where you could shrink yourself at different places. So you could shrink yourself onto the table, and there was a huge globe rotating next to you. Or you would uh, shrink yourself onto a shelf, and this this was a place where you could actually walk to the edge, look down, and that's the point where it got really dizzy. Um, but you definitely got the feeling that I can't move around too much here. Like, um, although you were completely immersed in the space, like in the back of your head, you were always like, I can't go too far because as soon as this blue wall popped up, you knew you were some somewhere else entirely. Um, so this there is definitely a use case for what they show uh, show, show in this video. Um, the problem is though that I can't really see them implementing something like this. In a video game, like this, seemed like something for a tour or something, but um, Call of Duty wouldn't work like this. So, oh, <laughs> I want to shoot this guy, but at first I got to turn around ninety degrees. So in reality, <laughs> the game turns around in one hundred eighty degree, and I can walk further. No, I don't see this working uh, in anything that's really interactive.
2: Yeah, and I, sh- I should explain this for anybody listening. Yeah. And Mike, I don't know if you got to see it, but the way this this technology works is you the the world like the vr world kind of tricks you into turning your head a little bit and then the the actual in-game world will rotate a lot more so it knows where you are in physical space and it can make kind of create like an illusion that you're walking in a straight line but in reality you're sort of turning and like twisting a little bit to so you're not like yeah bethesda ai
1: face into the wall just like walking language like project simulator 2015 then <laughs> that, so, yeah so i agree with this you that this, thing- this would
2: be awkward to be like oh i want to shoot this guy in front of me but first i have to look to my left and then back in <laughs> front of me like that that would not be an authentic th- experience
0: <laughs> so This whole tricking you thing reminds me of, wasn't there like a study of when people were walking outside and like if they didn't have a good reference point like mountains or something, um, people walk in circles even though they think they're walking straight?
2: Yeah, if you blindfold yep. someone and That's and it. put them in like the middle of a field where there's no like it's a flat surface, they have no like reference points. Yeah, eventually you just kind of walk in like spirals and never really get anywhere. And it's funny because there's when I saw that study, somebody did like a nice little animated video to go with it and there's just this guy dressed in like period clothing from like the 1900s and he's like groping around in front of him and just wandering in this spiral. It's like, could you really not have just shown live video of that? You had to make like a cell shaded animation.
1: So um, I, I talked with some of the organizers. So this time we had uh, had more contacts in in there in in this organization. Um, so I was told that actually, everything, most of everything you see at Gamescom, like the whole booths, all the walls they pull up, um, except for everything that's really technology. They throw everything of that away. Like most of them, Sony, like the big ones, they don't have a space. or It it would be more expensive to put that all into uh, some kind of um, um, storage facility. They just throw it away and build it up next year. That's kind of depressing. That's kind of wasteful. Um, So uh, Gamescom (laughs) is basically just throw money away everywhere. And as we were about to leave on Sunday evening, like they they, they, they closed the closed the Gamescom and get got the public out, and then right in that minute, like a lot of people got in and started dismantling or everything, and it was very strange to see. But um, we had we had to have in my mind, I had to have it in my mind that everything I'm seeing right now is going to be in the trash tomorrow. Jeez, anything you'd want? <laughs> um i would have taken an oculus roof but i don't think they throw that away
2: <laughs> so i'm just imagining like dumpsters full of of like cardboard cutouts and signage and then even like the scaffolding that they build the booths with like none of this is saved it just all goes in the garbage couldn't they give this to like a i don't know a game store or comic book shop or some kids or nope. the people
1: attending like nothing <laughs> I mean, what do you want to do with a 10x10 10 10 wall that's completely blue with nothing on there? I mean, if it shows the, the this this icon from, from Fallout or something, um, I mean, even then you would have to have the space for it, but I mean, I, I guess everything they throw away, it's not really useful for anyone other than the the booth for next year, but as I said, I think it's just too expensive to put it somewhere because they're not using it the whole year, and just for one week.
2: Maybe they at least recycle some of it, like I'm Trying to find a silver I lining so. here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, I was told that most of it, not, any, not, not everything, but mo- most of it is definitely thrown away.
0: Straight to the landfill. Yeah.
1: And, um, and I thought in general, so I, we talked about it last year that we didn't get to do anything, although we had exhibitor tickets. So this year we were there for five days. I got to do exactly five things in five days, always before the public got in. So we got in at eight, the press got in at nine, and then the public got in at ten. Um so if you were to attend gamescom any of you do not go on Friday or Saturday if you just have regular tickets it's just no use you can you can plan in advance to do one thing and one thing only and after that you can look at stuff but not do any not do anything so the best thing you can do is actually try to get a press ticket which can't be that hard because as last year, there were a lot of 12-year-olds with press or trade visitor tickets. <laughs> it can't be that hard to get them. Um, which is always the reason why I was in line for anything I wanted to do before 9 a.m., before those 12-year-olds came. And there were a lot of them. Um, so really try to get a press ticket or something or trade visitor. If you're studying anything that has to do with computers, um, I think you're eligible for a trade visitor ticket. Um the any the, anything else you can do is just uh, go to eBay and have a lot of money because some people are always selling those tickets for a lot of money.
0: Um, uh, the old, the old, actually just
1: the old black you, market. Yeah, it actually just gives you one hour um, head start. So um, you have to know how much that is worth to you. Like you can line up at something and be in there um, when they open up. But the rest of the day, you're like anybody else. Like There, there, there are fast lanes, but those are just for VIPs
0: vips
2: <laughs> so the i mean for you like you're an exhibitor and there's lots of neat stuff you're seeing that you might not end up owning or you're trying to make a decision about it but for a general attendee like i don't know i've I've never been to an event quite like this not at this scale and my gut reaction is i will probably never go to one cuz i don't entirely see the point like with E3 and any of these big conferences where they show like gameplay footage, I'm like, yeah, I can watch that on my computer at home the next day. And it's virtually an identical experience. Like unless you're getting hands on time with yeah. something, which from the sound of it is virtually impossible, then I don't know why people would cram into these little rooms to look at images on a screen when it's like you have screens at home. You can look at images on those screens. <laughs>
1: Yeah right. Um it's 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 just that. Like you, you can run in at the, I mean I mean they were really literally running. The the time where I waited for the HTC Vive, which was luck as I said, because they were completely booked out, but they had some spots for the first few there and yeah, it was there at eight in the morning. Like it, it was nine AM and people came running through the hall towards hall nine where the big stages were like Nintendo and and Fallout and all that they were just running like there was a line behind them <laughs> and it's it's really crazy but this is the only way you get to do something there and afterwards like at the regular opening times if you want to do anything really exciting you have to wait like 1 2 or 3 hours minimum
2: it's absurd so if
1: yeah i mean if if i wasn't an exhibitor i definitely wouldn't wouldn't go anymore i got to be honest like it's it's the same uh from from the first games convention back in 2004 it's just the same thing everything you can see you can see on the internet and sometimes a few days in advance sometimes a few days later but if you want to do something you can only do really you can promise yourself to do one thing and afterwards i'm going to promise you 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 want to go home so uh <laughs> pack your 3DS sit down in line and play your game and wait until it's, it's your your turn to have 5 minutes of fun and what does it cost to get into this? Just curious. Um, it's not that expensive. Um, so if you're a student, I think it's just 9 euro or something around 10 euro. If, if you're not a student or you don't get uh, uh, any bonus or something, it's around 15 euro. So it's not that expensive.
2: Yeah, that that actually makes a huge difference because yeah. going somewhere and like people watching and just enjoying being surrounded by people who love the same stuff that you love for. I don't know what that converts into in dollars, so let's just stay nine euro. Like that yeah, is a little bit more same. understandable. If it was like a hundred dollars to get in there, <laughs> I'd be
1: like, no. No. Well, usually the game developers conference is at the same time in, in another part of the of the center, but um I think those tickets are in in the hundreds, like they're definitely three dig- digits there. I think one hundred, two hundred dollars or something. But, I mean, that's a professional event. Like, if you're there, you really have a reason to be there. But for Gamescom, it's just a big marketing and commercial thing. So this is probably the reason why they don't really care that people don't really get to do things. They just want people to see their things.
2: At least they're charging appropriately for the privilege to look
1: at an ad or a blue wall that says Fallout on it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And then they always giving out those goodies which are aren't really exactly goodies. Like this year the the thing was um really big bags with um Final Fantasy 15 on the side, like a logo and some screen cap from from a trailer or something. Like huge bags. They were bigger than the than the people that were carrying them sometimes. <laughs> And there was, as I was told, there was nothing in there. You were just given that bag for, I don't know, doing... I don't know <laughs> if they even did something to get those. So they were just walking around with those ads under their arms with no purpose. <laughs> like, there's nothing you put into those because un- unless you go into the, the merchandise uh, um, section, you're not getting anything at Gamescom. You're not buying anything. So why have those huge bags other than carry around the the advertisement for Final Fantasy Fifteen? That's exactly it. Well, it's always
0: nice to get these annual reports out of you and uh, (laughs) maybe uh, in 52 more episodes we'll we'll get another one if if Gamescom (laughs) stays alive and doesn't change
1: itself to Gamescom or or QCon. I don't know if we're going to be exhibitors again next year. Um, If we're not going to be, then we'll probably have a way to get some press tickets or something. So... It's safe to say I'm probably going to attend next year but not 5 days in a row again like that was really exhausting.
0: All right, Matt. Well, thanks for your report and uh we'll we'll dismiss you now from the podcast and we'll, we'll see you, you know, next year.
1: All right, thanks. I I got some work to do anyway. <laughs> thanks, Matt. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye.
0: Uh Gamescom. <laughs> So, back to the regular show, we got some follow up and it uh, looks like uh, you included here uh, another yet another savings app. So tell me about digit
2: yeah it's I'm, I included this because I think it's interesting that these this market apparently is taking off like this automated save money for me. What I think is weird about digit and why I just wanted to give it a little mention is uh, you interact with it like largely through text messaging. And I think I made a joke the last time we talked about this, like you wouldn't do contracts and financial transactions over Twitter. And this feels also (laughs) kind of like that. Like, I mean, they have an app and it shows you like how much you're saving and how much you've saved since you've joined and all these like statistics to make you feel good about yourself or bad about yourself if you're not doing enough work. But the idea of texting this number and being like, hey, Digit, can you put twenty dollars into savings and then digit is like sure can twenty dollars moved into your savings account (laughs) like that seems weird like i don't need that interaction to be humanized i'm perfectly okay putting numbers into a box and seeing that the 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 numbers moved from you know the left box into the right box like i don't really need that to have a human social feeling
0: so I, i don't know
2: would you ever do something like this? Do you even do mobile banking? I do very very little.
0: yeah, I don't do much mobile banking um i I do like the the automated savings aspects of of this, but i don't yeah the text messaging is just absurd. I don't need that um, i'm not I'm not going to text you up to my bank. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm wondering what the bank's response to that would be like you up. I just transferred $10 into your checking account. It's like, okay, (laughs) you're about to get a cab ride. Aren't you like, Hey, I am.
0: Uh, Looks like you're trying to flee the country. (laughs) I can help
2: everything. All, all interactions should just be clippy. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention was uh, I have given up on upgrading to windows 10 and I'm, this is not me disparaging Windows 10. Everyone I know that has a normal computer that isn't made of, like, cobbled together parts has had a really good experience, and everything's been fine. And eventually, when Susan upgrades her laptop, I'll get to play with it a little bit. But three times I had the updater actually freeze. Two other times, it just told me flat out, like, nah, brah, we're not even going to attempt to update. And it just didn't even start. So... I think five attempts for a machine I never ever log into and do not care what (laughs) operating system it's running like that. That's enough. I've now spent enough time on this. So Windows 10 is essentially dead to me until it's on Susan's laptop. And even then I'll just poke around with it. But I'm not gonna like make a dual boot or a virtual machine or anything because i just i don't have any need for windows i barely have any need for os 10 like i spend the majority of my life in a web browser so i just i don't know maybe i'm getting old mike i just i don't want to tinker with certain things the way i used to
0: (laughs) ah tear in your eye (laughs) um you know, I've, I've actually been bitten by uh, what turns out to be an actual problem I read about in the wild of uh, a reboot loop on one of the updates, so... Famously, I mean, you talked about it last week and that's what makes it famous. No, um, uh, Windows 10 is way more aggressively set to auto update and you have to, you know, jump through a lot of hoops if you want to change that. And, uh, that's awesome. I'm in favor of that in general. Um, but it kind of sucks when that also gets paired with, Oh, we shipped a bad update and it, it, did, didn't like break or brick the system, but it, it, it was a reboot loop. So Windows would say could not apply the update, removing the update and restarting. And then it would try to apply the patch again next restart. And then it would fail. And then it would say removing it and restarting. And, uh, clearly they had some like something in there to break the loop. Cause like after five reboots, it would just go to the desktop and not try. So it wasn't like infinite. But it was really irritating because I did, because this is on my iMac, so you hear the, the stupid Apple chime every time. Oh. <laughs> it's just like, ah, <laughs> ah, you're like shut up. <laughs> so I still like Windows Ten itself, great, but man, that that botched patch is not fun.
2: And have you tried? So you you bothered to make a whole dual boot and go through all that rigmarole? Did you have you done anything with it? Like substantial computing have you installed any dev tools have you done any uh graphics editing or music stuff or gaming or did you just boot it up and you're like wow look at how well I can immediately open chrome
0: (laughs) well literally the only reason I have windows is to play windows only games um so I, I don't intend to install anything else on it so it was Steam and uh, whatever Origin, EA's Origin because I have Titanfall, Ugh. the only game I have on that um, oh, also they don't sell Mass Effect 3 anywhere except through Origin They're just like, come on, please join our party. Um, know, I was so just t-
2: talking to somebody about Mass Effect and how I really wanted to play it and I was like, you know what I'll bet those games are relatively cheap now and I opened up Steam and I was like, oh, one One and two are Windows only, three's not even here, I would have to install that origin software. Guess I'm never gonna play this series. (laughs) Like those were just immediate deal breakers.
0: The thing everyone complains about, but I actually hope happens is that they do a a remastered trilogy for one, you know, in one box for PS4, and I would probably buy that, but trying to go through the originals is just kinda tedious now.
2: I love how a game can receive such critical acclaim, and then just a few years later, it's like, oh, my God. This is so, oh, my God. And I mean, I understand, especially for a game like Mass Effect, that's really pushing boundaries in terms of, like, graphics and storytelling and, you know, interactive elements. And even though most of the interactive elements have no impact on the real story, but I can understand why something that's boundary-pushing then a few years later is like, oh, look at how dated that is. But it's just funny the the about face that some reviewers do. And they're like, when I played this game when it was new, it was the best thing ever. And I was willing to like step over my own mother to get a copy of it. Now I wouldn't download it for free, <laughs> even if they removed origin and the game played itself for me. <laughs> uh,
1: so uh-oh. it looks
2: like, according to our show notes... Uh, you're you might be giving up on Apple Music. Have they have they finally become more trouble than they're worth?
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm done with Apple Music for the foreseeable future. And uh, this, I, I go into some detail about this on the the last flipping or not flipping tables, the last bits and pieces, um, which you can find at robot.net slash bits and pieces. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there, there's. I'd separate this into the pain points and then the deal breaker. And so the pain points we've talked about, like the interface is very complex. There's so many buttons and yet not some of the ones you really want. So that's always a double whammy of you put too many and the wrong ones. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's some clear like growing pains, 1.0 bugs of, you know, you try to stream a song and it would just send an error or um, it seems very sensitive to your, the quality of your network. So, you know, there's a spot driving to work that my AT&T just doesn't cover very well, clearly. And uh, if I try to switch songs or change anything during that little gap, it's just like, get ready to wait a few minutes until you can hear songs again. And that's irritating. (laughs) That is so annoying. And uh, in the same spots with Spotify, it, it is way more successful and clearly i think it's more adaptive with its stream it just switches to a lower quality and makes it work and i can't tell because you don't need lossless audio but anyway <laughs> um, so that's like that's still kind of in the pain point side like if if i really loved other things about it like it's curation or whatever <laughs> um, but the deal breaker was when i reformatted my imac because i screwed up my imac because i was trying to install windows 10 um, I signed back into iTunes and it just went apeshit. It just, uh, it decided my playlists were just ones I was subscribed to, but they weren't mine, so I couldn't edit them um including a bits and pieces playlist which is the one i had publicly shared nice and uh, so i was just yet another citizen enjoying someone's generous bits and pieces playlist
2: and it's not like you can reclaim that like that's just now disconnected from any ownership forever
0: yeah and it wasn't just like a weird you know view issue on this iMac it you know infected everything so all my iTunes on every one of my machines was like you no longer own this <laughs>
2: That's, uh, see, i we've talked about the relationship between streaming services versus, versus owning. And, uh, we don't have to like make a whole big thing out of it, but you know, with Netflix, like if a movie goes off Netflix, I'm like, well, it wasn't my movie. So I'm bummed, but it wasn't mine. Like it was just something like if a library book is out of the library, it's like, well, I'm bummed, but it wasn't my book. It wasn't my movie. It wasn't whatever with this mingling of your music and streaming music. If suddenly your music goes away, you're like, no, I was paying you to take care of my music. You can't just take it away. That stuff was actually mine.
0: Yeah. And there were some overzealous defenders that really just stop. Um, that w- <laughs> we're pointing to some like disclaimer deep in the, the, the tiny text at the bottom. But then the reply was, but look at the tagline right under. It says, your music everywhere. <laughs> it's like, I don't care what the fine print says. They just advertised that your music would be everywhere. It's a reasonable expectation that then your music will be everywhere. Yes, yeah, since
2: it's the tagline and it's the only way they've ever marketed the product. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I updated uh, iOS on my iPad and I was like, oh yeah, there's Apple Music. And that was where my involvement with Apple Music stopped. I think I may have opened it once just to be like, wow, the interface is as terrible as Mike said it was. <laughs> and then I've not looked at it or thought about it again because this is I feel like we're we've hit the solved problem point where there aren't any new revolutionary features. Everything's just incremental. So Like Spotify, if they stream better when you have crappy service, like that's good. But if, like, Google Play Music or Apple Music or Amazon Music or Pandora or whatever, if they're also streaming relatively well when you have kind of a crappy signal, then you're just like arguing six and one half dozen. But then when it's something like, oh, we had all these playlists for you that you created painstakingly and now they're gone it's like wait how did how are they gone how why are they gone like and why did you delete them from devices they were previously working on
0: yeah they just clearly haven't spent the time and it's been like this ever since itunes match came out in like 2012 i think something like that it's been years so they've had these weird sync bugs and maybe they fix some but then different ones show up and i mean it this is different than saying, oh well well software's buggy, you just have to deal with it. No, this is like shipping, very public, very a lot of people have experienced it kind of breaks in the user experience that you think You would think Apple would usually care a lot about, but for some reason in the iTunes business, mediocrity is allowed. And uh, (laughs) this is a problem. It's a problem if they continue to succeed in the market and don't have to get better. And I keep kind of hammering on this that I I want them to have to do better.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think Spotify is, even though it's a very different specific service, it's not really this like music buying music management artist interaction and all this other nonsense. Most people don't care about that stuff. Most people want to press a button and have noises come out at them of their choosing. Right. It's like, Oh, I pushed the classical noise button. Now I want to hear classical noise. I pushed the rap noise button. Now I want rap noise. Like that's, that is really the extent I think people want from music software. I mean, that's why Pandora was so successful because you just opened up Pandora and you were like, Nah, pop hits and then it played pop hits and then <laughs> you didn't have to think about it anymore. And it was super cheap, or you could just do it for free, and that's what people wanted. And then for for people who had like specific tastes, you could just buy MP3s, mostly from iTunes, but also from like Amazon music and then later Google Music and and it's I think that meets like ninety-nine percent of use cases. But that last little 1%, you know, people like you, people, I I read an article, I can't remember if we talked about it, but this DJ who used iTunes to manage like his entire business, and he's as long as he has been a DJ, he's been only buying music from Apple, he's been only using Apple products to play it, and he's been only using the iTunes software to manage everything. And he was just like, I'm done. I'm out. He's like, I can't show up at a wedding and find out that all my playlists have been corrupted and all the metadata is wrong and all the songs are broken. He was like, this is literally my livelihood. And, you know, it's not (laughs) pretending to be a business application, but it is pretending to work correctly and it doesn't work correctly. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So I thought we could uh do one more gaming topic in the spirit of Gamescom uh before we get to the rest of our show and that's to to have me be a, a late bloomer in uh getting really excited for Fallout 4 and uh <laughs> I think this uh, you know my interest was driven because I I pulled out Fallout 3 and decided to journey through the wasteland again uh in the past couple of days and uh uh just uh, decided on a whim to look up, you know, not just the trailer, which I had seen when we talked about E3 a couple months ago, but uh, the actual full half hour Fallout 4 demonstration and explanation from E3. And holy shit, this game looks so good. And yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> um, so I had a. a it, there was in the 90s, I remember like in the early N64 days, uh, me and some friends. We're really excited about like oh someday there will be games where like you're just in you're just in a world and you can do whatever you want and like you go to the basketball court and you can play basketball and you go um you go you know hop on a train and go into town and there's a club and there's a restaurant and all that so you were uh,
2: dreaming of second life
0: (laughs) not exactly we (laughs) thought it would be more fun and less less furries less less weird um But this seemed like a radical, like far off in the future, someday they'll figure this out. And yeah, that's a whole genre now. There's like hundreds of games like this. And uh, actually, I just uh, got one for the PS4 that just came out called Everyone is Gone in the Rapture. And that game actually kind of sucks. We can talk about that another time. Sorry, the
2: title is Everyone is Gone in the Rapture? Yeah. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I I was not expecting that.
0: (laughs) But uh, anyway, back to Fallout 4. Um, As I was watching the demo, first off, the graphics seem more impressive than when I watched the trailer last time. I was like, oh yeah, this does look next-gen. Just the the scope of how much is going on in the, the world at once and how seamless it looks. But also the the like the non-story game stuff you can do just seems to have like exponentially grown. Um, you don't just get a flat in Megaton, but you actually build your house however you want out of whatever is around you. So there's kind of that Minecraft element of harvesting stuff and creating your own little place to live. Um, There's like some tower defense elements of like your home's going to get attacked every once in a while. So you can build lights and towers and you can just create generators that are attached to lights so you can make your own signs. I saw in the the demonstration he had one that just said die and everyone laughed. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it all just looks so much like so easy and so fun. Like it didn't look tedious. And he was quick to emphasize like, You know, it's an open world game, and some people love shooting and running straight through, and some people love to sit and pick flowers on the side of the road for 15 hours. And you can, you know, you don't have to build your house and build your defenses if you kind of hate that stuff. Like, you can just go and be Mad Max, you know, on a rampage. See, and that is exactly what I consider a requirement
2: for a game that's trying to sort of be multiple games i mean when you say like oh you can run around and shoot things or you can get a car and drive around or you can build your house but then sometimes your house comes under attack and you have to like fortify it so there's there are whole games built around each of these elements i mean you said it like there's the minecraft there's like tower defense there's first person shooters there's driving games like all of these things have and then there's just like narrative driven you know like post-apocalyptic uh kind of games so there's basically a bunch of games mashed together and what's important to me and this is this was always important to me but it's way more important to me now that i have like less time to i can't contribute 200 hours to a single game uh (laughs) the way I, i probably would have when i was like 15 but as long as i can ignore that stuff if i want to like if I can ignore building a house and just like sleep in an inn or sleep on the ground, like face down in a puddle, like as long as that's still an option (laughs) and it's escalated quickly, (laughs) (laughs) as long as I can, you know, stop and talk to people and talk my way through a situation when I want to, or shoot my way through a situation. I think in this presentation, I don't, I'm not familiar with this particular, the guy who's leading this, but he's like someone in, you know, big in Bethesda. And, uh, he uh, Todd Howard, according to this video, um, he says uh, when you you walk up and you you talk to to Cog, Cogsworth with a G Cogsworth, um, Cogsworth whatever you you go up and you talk to your robot and you're like oh my god my robot's <laughs> still alive from after the apocalypse happened and how you doing robot and uh, Todd cuts in and he says all of the conversations are dynamic so you can have a conversation you can branch off into multiple conversations you can walk away in the middle of of the conversation or you can shoot them in the face and and i think like he (laughs) he was talking so subtly about like the game's engine that when he said that last part there's this like pause and then you the audience kind of like all at once realizes like did he just say you could shoot your robot in the face And that's kind of like if you ever played the old Fallout games, you actually had to enter and exit conversations. And like if you accidentally started a conversation with someone, you would be like, because then you had to wait until you were at a point
0: where you could back out of the conversation. It was like uh, when people toast and they're like, I want eye contact while we toast. It was like this intense like zoom into their face and you are locked in. Here's what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it takes you out of it a little bit because you
2: have this like unlimited freedom. And I understand this, you know, at the time it was a limitation of the technology. But once those limitations are in place long enough, they become almost like expectations. Like this is how games behave. So I was really happy to see that they they were like, yeah, you can basically do whatever you want. You can play the game in the way you want to play it. We have these other elements for people who want to play them, but we're not going to force you into using them. You know, you can party with people. You cannot party with people. You could shoot everybody. You can, you know, be Mr. Nice Guy. Like, this was in... So, in Fallout 1, the the original, way back when, uh, you could actually talk your way out of the last boss. So, the last boss was this mutant who's trying to make everybody into a mutant. And you could tell him, uh, you're a bad person and you need to stop. And if your persuasion skills were high enough, you could actually convince him to kill himself. So, you could finish the last fight you know the the big boss without ever drawing your gun or firing a shot and then in fallout 2 there's the like the conclusion of the story which you can either shoot the guy in the face or you can talk your way out of but then when you're leaving the compound that he's in there's a battle you have to fight so no matter how much you've been doing the game is like this charming barterer and you know scavenger and like you don't get into conflict you have to be prepared for that fight otherwise you cannot beat the game and i remember as a kid being like oh sometimes i want to play the like chatty persuasion (laughs) diplomat and like that's not really an option now because i have to be strong enough to wear good armor i have to have high enough you know gun skills that i can actually land hits on the boss like it it sort of felt like it removed a lot of control from the player. Yeah. So
0: you're going to build like a crazy mansion. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how much fun it is <laughs> and, and how much, how gated the, the premium materials are. Um, but he also made a point to emphasize like when they're not freemiuming this stuff, like you can just do it in the game. And, uh, this is also when they unveiled their fallout shelter mobile game. Um, which I tried on iPhone this summer. I think when it was around InstructureCon, it came out. Um, yeah, because that was when E3 happened. Um, but like he was very clear, even on this mobile game, which looks really good if you haven't seen it or haven't played it. Um, you should throw it on your iPad. But it's, it's like a 2D like, side view of uh, like a cross section of a vault. And then, so you can see all the rooms and you know, they're. Um,
2: it's like and, a tower sim.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh but it looks like they they really put time like polishing this into like a f- completely good game that would be worth 5 or 10 dollars as a mobile game and they're just giving it away for free. But even there like Bethesda, good guy Bethesda were just like, yeah, we're, you know, while there are some in-app purchases, they this is not designed to, you know, annoy you until you pay to win. Like <laughs> this is not, you know, this is designed to be really fun and there's just some, you know, stylistic extra things if you care that you can pay for but you don't have to so that you know you build something it's built immediately there's no like wait five minutes or pay now <laughs> um because yeah that i i hate that stuff like every time I, f- I see a free game immediately i look are there in-app purchases okay never mind not even going to install it um tab closed. did not install yeah yeah pretty much um so, yeah, I mean, Fallout 4 looks so good, and I, I'm just more excited now than before, and so that's why it's suddenly a topic I wanted to talk about. Um, I, w- I will definitely uh, buy it when it comes out this fall, this November. That's the other cool thing. So they spent three years working on it, and they didn't say a damn thing about it. And then this summer, they're like, oh, yeah, it's coming out in a few months, and I love that. <laughs> just like... Yeah. That is, as a gamer,
2: it is really or even, you know, if you're into movies and you see a movie trailer, there's you have a favorite author and a new book gets announced. It's really satisfying when you're like, Oh my god, this new piece of media that I really want. And it comes out soon. Like that. It's (laughs) we've gotten into this like media hype cycle. And I think Kickstarter has actually made it a lot worse. Not I mean it's not their fault, but you know, something like a game or a movie or whatever goes through the Kickstarter cycle, and then Kickstarter ends, and everybody's like, okay, they got their money. Now, where's my product? And it's like, no, now they have the money to make the thing. You still might have like another <laughs> year or two to wait before they ship, and that's assuming everything goes right. But with, uh, yeah. with Bethesda, they were just kind of like, look at this amazing game. and Look at all these amazing things you're going to be able to do. Now, you can do all those things this year. We are shipping in time for Christmas. <laughs> and it was like, how did you keep this so tightly under wraps? Like, that's this is like Apple levels of information security. Like, no one knew this wasn't leaked. Yeah. I didn't see any two sentence stories that were expanded into five pages so they could sell more ads talking about like little tidbits of fallout four. Like this was all secret.
0: I want to hear about this robot slave Cogsworth (laughs) (laughs) pretty much.
2: (laughs) So this company Jibo, and that is actually how it's pronounced because they have a little video on their homepage that I watched. Uh, They made uh, what kind of looks like a desktop fan or like a humidifier. Like it's about, you know, maybe about a foot tall, and it's it's got three little motors, so it can, like, kind of turn and actuate and look at you. And I say look at you because it has <laughs> this camera built in on, like, you know, about where, like, an eye would be. And then the whole, like, face of it is this big screen. And this video is talking about like how you can make this thing part of your family. And what if technology wasn't just a tool, but a partner in your life. And I mean, it's very, you know, future sci-fi aspirational. The future is now. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, I do think the script for this video maybe should have gone through a second round of editorials because, or, or, or editors rather, because in the beginning, uh, They show, like, the house and the car and the toothbrush, and the narrator says, these are your things. And then it shows a picture of a family on, like, a fireplace mantle, and it says, but these are the things that matter. And I'm just like, did you just call people things? And then the very (laughs) next thing they do is say, Jibo is somewhere in between. And I'm like, so your own product is, like, kind of important, but also kind of just garbage that's in my house like i don't know it felt like super disjointed like i knew what they were going for but i felt like they just kind of missed the mark but the whole point really like once you watch the whole video and then the the founder of the company this this woman i can't remember what her name is but she comes on at the end to like say why she started the company and they want to make this thing not just a little assistant like amazon echo style where you can just ask it questions but they want it to interact with you more like a fallout style like handy robot like it asks you questions like oh you just walked into the room hey did you know you have a voicemail do you want me to play it for you so like it it initiates interactions and this is one of those things where i'm like yeah in the video it looks amazing but we've been burned so many times by stuff like this
0: the the founder is a a pioneer of social robotics and MIT professor, Cynthia Brazil. And, uh, yeah, she, it was good when she was on camera kind of trying to contextualize, but yeah, the, the scripted video, I mean, it's, it's like in terms of visual quality, it's well produced. Like it doesn't feel cheap, but, um, man some of the tone of it and uh, i kept waiting like it, it felt like a movie trailer where the robot like you know everyone with a digital assistant immediately goes to like what if it started killing everyone as, as if that's <laughs> going to happen um but that's exactly the feeling you get watching these videos halfway through and especially when uh, the robot's telling a bedtime story to the child and it's like the you know the three pigs and the big bad wolf blowing the house down and it's actually kind of terrifying and maybe that's because maybe that's it's good storytelling and I should be praising it. But in the context of this video, it was just like, Oh my God, like this kid's going to be scared. Well, and particularly then like, cause the, it knocks the, the little- fort
2: down on her. Like it, it does yeah. the line like huff and puff and blow your house down. And then like her blanket fort <laughs> collapses on her. And there's that part of you that's like, so the, implication is that Jibo did that. <laughs> did Jibo just actually like try to bury this little girl in their blankets and
0: pillows? <laughs> well, and then Jibo immediately goes, where did you go? <laughs> and that's when I was expecting like the you know, the cuckoo k- k- and like the, the dark part of the trailer would start. <laughs> <laughs> and Jibo would just be on a murderous rampage. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but also like they're shown like the, you know, you're FaceTiming with people and, you know, Jibo will auto move to look at whoever's talking, which is cool. It's like sort of a, another step beyond what Hangouts does, you know, in its context of switching to who's talking. Um, but then it also shows that the person on the other side on a different Jibo can just tap on, or they, they were just on a tablet, but they could tap on who they wanted to see. But then it's immediately this voyeurism like, oh my God, someone's just like looking around my house. Um, it, and it's all just like the vibe of the video is just a little weird. And so... I think we've been trained by stuff like Tim and Eric to like, you know, it feels like a happy infomercial and instead of that just being all it is, now we're always thinking of the Tim and Eric like crazy twist of insanity that's going to come.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's all too many cooks underneath. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm looking at the FAQ for Gibo and I I really should have looked at this before because there are some amazing questions in this FAQ. And speaking of like, oh, we've been burned on promises like this. The very first question on the FAQ is, "It looks too good to be true. Is this real?" And then you know they have their markety, like, we have an amazing team, and the we're building out a platform so it can do more things over time and be developed and dirk dirk. You um, know,
0: unfortunately, their answer basically says. not yet sort (laughs) of like it actually inspires a a huge drop in confidence from me yeah well because if you noticed at the top you can only
2: pre-order this thing you can't it's not for sale yet so they had a successful kickstarter and now they're like getting ready to go and i mean this is the we've talked about kickstarter before you and i but it's you know, a successful Kickstarter does not mean I can go to Best Buy or Toys R Us or, you know, whatever and pick this item up off the shelf. It means they have the money to attempt to make the product a reality. So that's why this idea of using Kickstarter as like a preorder platform is kind of misleading to the public and using it as a uh, like this long promise. Like a bunch of people have made Kickstarters for Perpetual Motion Machines. And it's like, well, obviously that's not going to happen. And if it does, like you can have all the money because you will have (laughs) solved a very serious problem, but you should probably deliver first. But some of these, uh, some of these FAQs or some of the, the questions in here are actually making me think about using this product in my home. And one of them is, so it ships with a plug, right? Like it ships with an AC adapter, but then it will also be able to use a proprietary battery. And The second I read that, I'm looking at my desk where I have my little charging pad, you know, my IKEA wireless charging pad for my phone. And I don't know how much power this thing draws. So, you know, there's limitations on wireless charging and blah, blah, blah. But I would find something like this a lot more useful if I could just have like four or five wireless charging pads all over my house, like one in the bedroom, one in the office, one in the kitchen, one in the living room, that kind of thing. And I could just put Jibo down. Like, here's your little charging pad. Just sit here. Cause I know this is a good position in the room for you to be in. But if I have to carry around an AC plug, I'm never going to move him. And if I have to swap out batteries more than like once a day, then I'm not going to move him. I'm just going to leave him plugged in. So it's like, now you've got these hurdles where like all day battery life is required. Otherwise it's a huge pain in the ass. You're not going to have multiple plugs. Cause that just seems dumb.
0: Yeah. This is something that we noticed about the Amazon Echo ad is like the family just had it in every room and they kind of cleverly didn't show that it had to be plugged in. And so it was like no one ever picked it up and moved it. Yeah. Did they buy 10 Echos? Are they moving it just all day carrying the Echo around?
2: (laughs) I I am. So I'm not going to go through this whole list, uh, but there is one on here that I just find frustratingly confusing, which is... Is Jibo a male or female? And the answer is Jibo is gendered male. And I think the correct answer to that should be, it is a robot. <laughs> yeah. Like why gender
0: is a social construct. <laughs> yes.
2: Why yeah, there's there's like sex, like the way you are genetically born, and then there's the social construct of gender. Why are you needlessly applying this is like I, I studied Spanish in high school and I, my teacher was a native from Spain. So, you know, grew up speaking Spanish and then learned English later in life. And I remember being so frustrated that there were languages where there were words that were arbitrarily gendered. Like there's a word for shirt and that's like a man's shirt. And then there's a word for a woman's shirt, but it actually like, so does that mean women can't wear like a t-shirt? Cause that's like a man's thing. Like it's built right into the word. And I always, <laughs> I found that so like, needlessly yep, confusing <laughs> why Jibo you can be yeah. whatever you want Jibo you're a goddamn robot
0: <laughs> well uh, and the other question I'm looking at is can I name him something other than Jibo and the answer is not yet but um you know eventually you can call your robot fuck face and <laughs> thanks for do what that. you need to do
2: <laughs> I uh so you have a, an iPhone 6 do you did you tell Siri to call you something weird no does it call you Mike or does
0: it just call you nothing? Uh, I can't remember the last time I, Siri said my name to me, so <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Cause only I know the thing I ever do is text occasionally with Siri.
2: Yeah. I know some people do, uh, like, you know, a cutesy name, like, Oh, Siri calls me like, you know, big Papa or queen of the realm or whatever, you know, <laughs> super, Superman, Batman, whatever, like name they want to go by. And, that's kind of cute, I guess. Oh, so to tie that back into Fallout, um, one of the cool things they mentioned during the little opening sequence that they showed off is uh, when the the main character like comes out of the vault. You know, the character you play, and he sees his old robot. The robot comes up to him and is like, "You know, John, it's I haven't seen you in forever. I can't believe you're still alive. It's amazing." And the guy Todd, who's doing the presentation, he said he was like, "That's not scripted for this demo." We actually programmed in like a thousand of the most common names so you can make him, you know, it does that little like it's a tiny little bit of polish like and as someone who has a super common name, I've always thought that was neat when I like put my name in and it says David and then a character is like, hi, David. And I'm like, hi, (laughs) it just it's that little little tiny bit of polish.
0: Do they do they have Bort is Bort (laughs) in the game?
2: (laughs) You know, I wouldn't put that past Bethesda. We are out of board license plates in the gift shop. <laughs> so do you want to talk about this Google thing? Because this feels...
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that, that could be our, our closing topic.
2: Yeah. It, it feels uh, like a large enough thing that if we didn't at least mention it, it's like, well, you can't really call yourselves technologists, can you? So Google has become such a large company that they bought themselves. And... <laughs> I don't really know a better way to explain it than that. They turned, they, they started, so Larry and Sergey, you know, the original founders, um, they started a new uh, company called, or not Larry and Sergey, uh, Larry and, crap, what is the other And Anyway, the
0: two original founders. It is Larry and Sergey. It is Larry it? and
2: Sergey, okay. They. You'd think I'd know this by now. They started a holding Larry company. Larry
0: Page and Sergey Brin, right? Yeah, Sergey Brin,
2: that's right. Um they started this holding company called Alphabet, and uh this company serves the exclusive function of being a umbrella company for all of the other companies. And so, you know, Google's bought a lot of companies over the years, but they've also created all these crazy spin-off companies. Like they have Google X Labs, which does like the crazy balloons that rain Wi-Fi down on Africa and the self-driving cars. They've got their other lab that I can't remember the name of that's trying to like make people functionally immortal and like solve the aging problem. They've got, you know, they bought Nest and Dropcam and they like merged those into one company, but they're they're kind of part of Google, but they're kind of not and then they have like YouTube and Android and like it's kind of a giant massive conglomerate of companies and they have been under constant regulatory scrutiny because you have a company like like Nest now so Dropcam has been folded into Nest. You have a company like Nest and if you're a regulator or you're an investor and you see Google the company putting money into Nest you're like what the hell does that have to do with search and ads like that has nothing to do with search and ads and then you have a company like uh the self-driving cars that they're eventually probably going to spin out and you're like what does that have to do with search and ads like that's what do you why are you spending money from your search and ad company on these crazy things so the general consensus between what the founders told us and what the, the pundits are, are kind of imagining is the reality is they created this parent company so that they could say, okay, there's Google, and Google has its responsibilities, and then there's other companies like Nest, and Nest has their responsibilities, but we at Alphabet control all the money – so if <laughs> yeah. we want to put money into Nest, it's not Google's money going into Nest. It's Alphabet's money going into Nest. And it's, you know, financially, like, it's a subtle difference. If Google's the company making all the money, then they're still basically redistributing Google's money to these other companies. But the, the supposition is that this will alleviate a lot of regulatory scrutiny because these are actually separate companies with separate CEOs like YouTube has its own CEO. Um, Sundar Pichai is now going to be the CEO of Google. He's not just going to be like a big wig, like he's been for a while, but he is now in charge of Google. Like he which makes a lot of
0: sense. He seems to be doing great. He does. He's been doing an
2: awesome job. So, I mean, that's like a promotion for him. And, and I've noticed some of the, the things the pundits are saying is basically, um, there's no real obvious tax benefit to doing this. So people who are like, Oh, they're just trying to like do the shell game with money. Like tax professionals have seen this kind of umbrella company before. This is not a new idea. This like an umbrella company, a holding company. Um, and they know like, yeah, there's not really a lot of tax benefits,
0: but when are they going to create zombies that destroy everyone?
2: Well, that'll be the medical arm that does. <laughs> they're trying to make people immortal, like in <laughs> resident evil. And they'll be like, Oh, zombies. <laughs> But he actually, yeah,
0: that is yeah, exactly. that is exactly how. So they're happens. simultaneously creating the Terminator future with their AI stuff and Resident got, Evil future. You
2: gotta hedge your bets, Mike. You can't just put all of your money into one apocalypse. That's a fool's errand. Yeah, diversify
0: your apocalypse <laughs> investment.
2: That's right. So this, you can see their little founder's message to the you know to the public at abc.xyz like that is actually the URL for this holding company and there's not really anything there there's just the note from Larry Page saying like hey this is why we're doing this so get ready for cool stuff and i've been hearing some very interesting takes on this and and there's there's like a lot of crazy angles to all this but i think one of the most interesting things is uh google has apparently been hemorrhaging some of their top talent And there is, in the mind of of an individual, a difference between I am basically in charge of whatever company that's underneath Google and I am actually the CEO in charge of this company. So, like in Sundar Pichai's case... He's no longer like, yeah, I make most of the decisions, but really I have to answer to Larry and he could tell me to stop if he wanted to. Like, now he's actually in control of Google. And yeah, I mean, there's social pressures and, you know, influences and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, generally speaking, at the end of the day, he's like in charge of Google. Like, he now runs the company.
0: No, I mean, I don't think there's anything weird or scandalous about this. It seems to make a lot of sense that google is getting so big that they want to they want to make it possible for their more innovative wings to innovate while the uh the the big stable ad business or whatever can just come along and not that there's nothing to innovate or or change there but um they want to the way i've seen it talked about is like they want to avoid the innovator's dilemma. They want to be willing to disrupt themselves or whatever's in place with whatever better idea comes along and not be so big and slow that you can't.
2: Yeah. And that it kind of ties into this idea of of regulation, um, not from from like legal regulatory forces, but you as someone who's in charge of Google, like Sundar or Larry or whoever, like someone who's very near the top or at the top, if one of your employees comes to you and they're like, I have this amazing idea to invent, I don't know, like the Soylent product, like this, this drink, that's all the, the nutrients you need. And then, you know, as, as innovators and, and, and creatives like they are, they're like, Oh, that's awesome. But how do we justify on paper taking Google ad dollars and, and revenue from search and, Funding that, like, that has nothing to do with the mission of the company. So, breaking these things into distinct separate companies with separate leadership and separate hierarchies and hiring practices and all that stuff allows them to not have to ever spend another second thinking about that. Like, if they want to create a company and Alphabet is willing to fund that company, then that company can exist under like the alphabet umbrella and in, inside the holding company. And they don't have to worry about justifying it to regulators. They don't worry, have to worry about justifying it to the board of Google. Cause then like shareholders come along and they're like, Hey, um, why are you funding self-driving cars? Like that's neat, but how is that increasing shareholder value? Cause that's the kind of thing shareholders do. And this just cuts all of that out and allows them to basically say, You know how we have virtually unlimited money? We want to try and do smart things with it. You know, I I really have gotten the impression from Larry and Sergey that they genuinely want to do good things with this power they have. And not everybody always agrees on what counts as a good thing. But I genuinely believe that they are not trying to just make more money. They are trying to change the world in a way that they believe is an improvement, you know. Self-driving cars, uh, bringing the internet to places that don't have internet, bringing better internet to places that have crappy internet, um, all of these kinds of things they're doing are all big deals. Like, they're ch- they're creating whole markets, they're changing whole industries, they're affecting entire populations, and it's really difficult at the end of the day if you somehow have to tie that all back to, like, ad and search revenue. It's like, oh, we gave yeah. Wi-Fi to all of Africa so they can search now like that's that's it, it's way easier to just say, like, we gave Wi-Fi to all of Africa because they deserve access to the Internet, just like everybody else. And to just stop there.
0: Yeah. And I also th- imagine that they're sick of... uh people saying, oh, you're just a creepy ad company stealing all our data. And now they can, when they unveil a new product, it doesn't have to be from Google. It can be like, no, this is a separate company that isn't, you know, instead of just getting into the mud of that isn't exactly how our ad business is. like, shut up. Like <laughs> you don't have to fall into that pit. You can just be like, no, it's a separate company. Like take it or leave it on its own merits and don't, you know, this guilt by association. Yeah, do you think? Do um, you
2: remember? I don't know if you remember when they bought Nest and then later Dropcam. So I guess this is where it's already complicated, and it's good that they're making clearer lines because they bought Nest, but Nest continued to function as an independent company. But then Nest bought Dropcam, so Google kind of bought Dropcam, but sort of not really. Like this, this will make if nothing else, this will just make it easier to tell what the hell is going on because. <laughs> you'll be able to say like, oh, there is a clear distinction between the company that made the acquisition and who's hiring and what products they're building. And hopefully if they all stay standards compliant or they stay uh, you know, part of the boards that create these standards, there'll still be lots of smart interoperability between different tools made by different companies. But I mean, that's how the web is supposed to work anyway. Like whether it's being run by one company or a thousand companies, the whole point of these standards is for like smart interoperability so i i hope like google and nest still integrate in interesting ways and like youtube if because youtube didn't get spun out so youtube is still technically part of google but i can imagine them spinning that out soon if not like really soon
0: yeah absolutely
2: i'm trying to do some real-time search here on uh the who is data so um abc.xyz was registered you know by google it expires on holy crap march 20th 2025 but it was registered (laughs) uh just last year just in march of 2014 but what i want to know is who or when was abc.wtf registered oh abc.wtf was registered august 10th
0: So that means (laughs) five days ago.
2: Yeah, not just five days ago, but right when the announcement was happening. So uh, if you did not get a chance to go to ABC.WTF, it directly redirects you to Bing. It just (laughs) it brings you right to Bing. So I'm wondering, did Microsoft actually go out and register? Because, you know, the privacy is turned on. I can't see who registered it.
0: Oh, yeah. It could have just been some random dude.
2: Yeah, exactly. Anybody could just be redirecting. But wouldn't it be kind of funny if Microsoft bought this and then is redirecting to Bing just to, like, troll Google a little bit? Because it's kind of, it's harmless.
0: Funny, but also, like, come on, Microsoft. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, uh. Man, I'm tired. These are like
2: these are weighty to- these are weighty weighty topics, aren't they?
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot of big stuff, especially Fallout. That is heavy stuff. I'm um, excited. I'm super excited for that. Yeah, maybe you'll get a PS4 this year? Uh, you know, I keep <laughs> saying
2: like uh, I'll wait until there's a game I'm definitely going to play like as soon as it comes out and Fallout is believable to push me over that threshold. I I could believe I would buy Fallout on launch day. But then again, Bethesda launch day, kind of scary.
0: Yeah. Well, the motivator for you is I'm committing to buying discs whenever possible now. Yes. You can just borrow that stuff. Well, I I think we should close this out now. Um, You can check out the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 80. So uh, yeah, we're, we're getting way up there. We're almost to three digits. Um, <laughs> we love feedback, so we're both on Twitter. I'm at Medwards Music and Lions. You are at Lions in Beta, and you can subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. So I use Overcast.fm on my iPhone. It's uh, my favorite app for doing podcast, um, not doing them, listening to them. <laughs> um, and Lions, you're still using Pocket Casts?
2: Still using it.
0: Yeah, so that's a great option. And then you can just use the RSS button on our website from your phone and it should pop you over into the app. Or you can just search from inside your app and look up Flipping Tables or Sunrise Robot and uh, subscribe to our shows. Um, that way you'll never miss an episode. They'll be waiting for you on the, the day of release. Uh, so in your morning commute or wherever you're doing, you can enjoy yourself. Um, if you'd like to support us directly, uh, you can head to our Patreon. We have a Patreon going on, uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And, uh, every dollar that comes our way helps us keep the network running, helps us dream up new content. And, uh, continue to improve our quality. So, we want to give some special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne and Andreas Longa. We love you guys
2: so so much.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. See you next
2: week.